When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Wide, wide world of sports is going on here. Broadcasting live from the greatest city in the world. All the Texas, baby. It's Bucky and Aaron. You guys want to play some twos? You know what? Actually, we're kind of in the middle of a conversation. B and E. What's B and E? Bucky Godbolt, Aaron Hogan on the Horn 1049 AM 1260 and hornfm.com with the Longhorns play and Austin Talks Sports. DNA with you. Bucky actually had to bolt out of here and get back home, drop off a phone, had an appointment as well. So uh, we'll get you home. Talk to Ty Harrington coming up. Ty Henderson is here through the glass, but Ty Harrington will talk college baseball. His thoughts on his Longhorn sweep. No, it's interesting we talked to Ty. He was the coach at Texas State for 20 years, helped build that program into where they are today with Steve Trout at the helm. And uh, of course, a lifetime Longhorn, though, played and coached at Texas. College World Series appearances, and uh, so a lifetime Longhorn who also can get us the Texas State stuff. And he's covering the Sun Belt Conference here coming up, which is exciting, as it's the best time of year in college baseball. Tournament time is here. As you heard Coach David Pierce talk about being proud of his team for really coming together at the right time through all of the uh, ups and downs and trials and tribulations of a long season. It's what it's all about, to be playing your best at this time of uh, year because school's out. Not playing school anymore, Ty. You're to class, write a paper. You're just talking. You're just you know going going to the yard and playing baseball and focusing on baseball. And it's uh, something the Longhorns have done very very well here down the stretch. And I did ask Coach Pierce about that that game uh, with San Jose State, May the twelfth, and they they lost the game five, six to four. It's almost kind of like you knew the Longhorns. I mean, the Longhorns put themselves in a situation with the sweep of Oklahoma and some of the rough patches early in the season where they, they had a little very little margin for error if they were going to host and be a top 16 seed and team, uh, and certainly a loss to San Jose State, who came in as a 500 team in a non-conference game and a game that you led by two runs with six outs to go. That was a crusher. That was a killer. It dropped them in the RPI pretty big, and uh, Coach talked about it, but it was the players that had talked about that between games of that doubleheader, it was really there were some, uh, some hard words with, with the team, and you know, we're better than that kind of thing. Like, what are we doing? We can't afford that loss. We had it, and we let it get away. And, uh, you know, the players came out, and, you know, maybe not coincidentally or surprisingly, since that game, they've gone 5-0, and and they've outscored their opponents 71-15, to like just bludgeoning teams. And, so, and then you ask David Pierce about that, and he says, you know what? You know, that's that's what coaches are striving for, for all of it to come together, that every at-bat is a good one up and down our order. Everyone's uh, mentally focused on their role and their job. And as Coach said, you know, at times this year they've been a really good pitching team. At times they've been a really good defensive team. Remember they had the defensive lapses early in the year, that game with Vanderbilt and Arlington and out in uh, California with uh, Cal State Fullerton, they had some defensive issues. But they've shorn those up, and as Coach said, we've become an elite defensive team. Uh, and at times we were a good hitting team, times we were a good pitching team. We just weren't putting it all together. And at the most important time this past weekend, they put it all together and blitzkrieged right through the uh, West Virginia Mountaineers to the top spot of the Big 12. And 
Uh, now moving forward, if they can keep that mental focus, keep that mental edge, and the, the emerging health of Tanner Witt, the emerging dominance of LeBaron Johnson Jr., the continued great pitching from Lucas Gordon, kind of sorting out some roles in the bullpen. This becomes a team, whether they're playing in Austin next weekend or wherever, that, that no one really wants to play right now in college baseball because they can they can beat you 1-9 to nine in their lineup, they can beat you on the mound, and they can beat you on the defensive side of the ball as well. Uh, really a complete team, and that's credit to Coach Pierce and his staff uh, for, for navigating to this point. Uh, Lucas Gordon, by the way, will start the game tomorrow. I actually texted uh, Coach and, and the, the folks at UT because I forgot to ask Coach that question because sometimes you'll change up your rotation knowing you're starting on Wednesday and you're playing an eight seed and maybe you're going to flip things around. And uh, But Lucas Gordon will start Wednesday afternoon, tomorrow afternoon's game, 1230 against Kansas. They'll keep the normal rotation going into the Big 12 tournament. No changes expected for the Longhorns. With that in mind, let's go to the Vaqueros. Cafe and Cantina Hotline. Talk a little more college baseball because why the hell not? It's that time of year. Our friend Ty Harrington, who will be calling, uh, doing color commentary on the Sun Belt Conference Tournament, and uh, he joins us here on the on the hotline. What's up, Ty? Gentlemen, how are you guys this morning? Doing good. Where is the Sun Belt Tournament held? I need to re- be reminded. All right. So, for me, it's two different places. I'm in New Orleans where the conference office is. And uh, so we'll be doing the games from a studio. Um, once they back in COVID, they built the studio here in New Orleans where the Sunbelt Conference offices are. Um, so we'll be here. The tournament is in Montgomery, Alabama, and uh, home of the Biscuits. And, uh, <laughs> and so it's a beautiful ballpark, beautiful finally ballpark. And uh, so kind of spread out two different places, but they get pulled into a studio where – um, it may be one of the all-time greatest man caves and uh, where there's tons of screens. And, and, and obviously, it's always a little bit more fun if you can hear it, taste it, smell it, and see it, particularly for a guy like me. I like to watch so many things in between innings, uh, the coaches, umpire, every, just little things like that that take place and, and sign giving. But in order to get all these in and, and to do it like this, it, it, it's a way of the future, I think, sometimes. And and doing broadcasts and TV sometimes. And so uh, it'll be fun and uh, work with a guy named Matt Stewart, who's very common in uh, the eastern part of the country with the SEC and uh, does great work. And and, uh, so we worked together last year doing this. And so it'll be 14 games in about six days. Nice. And uh, so a lot of baseball, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Certainly is. And uh, before we get to these Longhorns and uh, what you saw this past weekend and what they can carry into the, the tournaments beyond, what does Texas State need to do uh, if they're going to make the, the field of 64 in a couple weeks or in a week or so? I think now they got to go out and win the tournament. Uh, for sure get the championship, but I, I think, you know, just to put it all to rest, I think, you know, take any drum out, they've got to go win the tournament. Um, you know, Levi Wells, who was, you know, nominated second team all-conference, and I was a little bit surprised. You know, Chase Morrow, who has been unbelievable all year long, a freshman second baseman with 17 home runs. I'm going to I've not seen anything like that before from a freshman uh, to that level and uh, wasn't the, you know, freshman of the year. So I was kind of surprised by that. A catcher from Coastal Carolina was. But um, I, I think they've got, I still think they've got their pitching in a situation where they can go win that tournament. And a lot of it is, I think they, one, they got good enough arms. They've got three guys coming out of the pen um, that are really, you know, really, really good relievers. Um, and, and with Dixon and Stroud. And so 
I just and Madrano, I, I just think they have the amount of pitching it takes to go win it. And to to the part of Coastal Carolina, who is a possible host, national host. And so then you have Southern Miss, who still thinks they might be. But both of those teams won't overexpose their pitching. So if you get in their side of the bracket and or if you reach, you know, one of them in the finals, they know they're in. So, you know, they wouldn't, you know, overexpose, bring somebody back on two days rest or overdo it, knowing that they're trying to get their pitching set up for the regional. And so I still think that Texas State's got a great chance to go in there. Um, they've been there before. Got a lot of guys that are still back from the year ago's team where there was such a magical run. Um, so I still think they're, they're pieced up and ready to go uh, make a great run in the Sun Belt tournament. I know Coach Trout feels the same way, uh, but I do. I think they've got enough arms and they've got enough offensive guys. Jose Gonzalez and Chase Moore continues what they're doing. And particularly with Gonzalez, he's able to put them on their back and carry them through a tournament. Uh, Ty Harrington with us. We just talked to David Pierce a little bit ago. He was, uh, you know, they're going to head to Arlington, so get the Thursday visit ahead on a Tuesday, which was great to hear him. Uh, you know, proud of his team, obviously, uh, battling through the trials and, and tribulations of a long season to be playing their best at the at the most critical moment. Let me let me ask you this though, because you've been around the Texas program so much and watching it closely when you were at Texas State. The job David Pierce has done. I know he still has his detractors. Every coach at Texas will. It's such a big spotlight job. Uh, you know, a lot of people that didn't like the hire when he was hired still, you know, give him uh, don't give him a lot of slack. Uh, but man, in what was supposed to be a rebuilding year with a new staff and a lot of new faces, to be the number one seed at the Big Twelve tournament, uh, pretty impressive, uh, and silencing a lot of those detractors for Coach Pierce. No, I think it was impressive. I think it was even more than impressive. Um, I think he was a Big 12 coach of the year, which, you know, for coaches sometimes is, is nice, but it is what it is. But um, to them, because you're ready to keep moving, right, and move on to the next thing. But I think he's done an incredible job. I shot him a text before the game on Saturday. And, again, after just, you know, congratulating him because there's so many pieces of this you know, between staff, as you guys have all mentioned, it's been well documented between the staff, you know, new players, all the great players that were on that team a year ago. You know, Texas loves to use the word, and rightfully so, because it's been used so many times. You reload, um, and that's very true. And I just think he did a, an unreal job of pushing his team, finding his team, continually putting the pieces together with his staff and putting his staff in the right spots. And keeping that motor running, I mean, and never taking, you know, never taking his foot off the accelerator and continuing of trying to put this together for it to come together like he did that last weekend against West Virginia. When you look at what happened, you know, in that series when, you know, your top four hitters, you know, Porter Brown and D.C. and J.T. and, and all those guys all hit over 500 against a team that's going to be a national host in West Virginia probably. When you start looking at the defense and what they did, their their value of defense never really dropped off. And how ironic was it the last ground ball against West Virginia was hit uh, to Peyton Powell, who they moved over to third base at that Fullerton series yep. back in California when they really, to me, the, the season started pushing forward that weekend. And even though they lost two out of three, they competed really hard, had a chance to win two out of three there, but they made the move. To put Peyton Powell over at third base, and I mean, he has just made that 
that made third base look like it's been his home his whole life. Um, and then these guys just take off, you know, offensively. Dylan Campbell, to me, that, that has just been an incredible story about how he started off and he just kept his belief in him and, and, and himself and how he does things and, and his approach to baseball and his approach to playing the game. And then, JT, you can start to see Jared Thomas. The whole time he wasn't hitting very good, I loved watching that young man play first base. He just attacks the game, attacks defense. And you can start to see, I know Craig Way and, and Keith Moreland are having a conversation late March, early April. You can start to see his barrel starting to get into that zone a lot flatter, a lot more often. And he wasn't chasing balls that he was earlier, getting himself out earlier in the year. And you can see that thing starting to line up and start to hit line drives. And my gosh, the last two, two and a half months that young man had, has had offensively, it's just been unreal. And now you start to see that the pitching really, Lucas Gordon on Friday night, he not just set the tone mm-hmm. for what was going to happen on the weekend and just his, his ability to command, but his emotional presence that night on Thursday night to let West Virginia and everybody know we are here to win this series and to sweep you guys. And I'm going to set the tone. I thought was just beautiful to watch and fun to watch. And LBJ has been really consistent last month. And now you've got the wild card Tanner Witt with all this emotion and all this competitiveness. And now 44 pitches last week, you know, you can, you can kind of guess it. it's going to go up 10 to 15 pitches. Every time he goes out there, he's still starting to create more angle on his fastball and his breaker and his off speed stuff. He's really starting to land more and more often. And so, and he just brings a presence out there where, I mean, that guy, when his spikes hits the dirt out there, he's so excited about everything. I think the team starts to feed off of it as well. And and then ultimately, to me, they have played unreal defense all year long, and they have separated themselves from the Big 12 when you start to look at what they're doing defensively above 980, you know, fielding-wise. And I, I, that's just unbelievable for college baseball. And that's why they had the chance. Ironically, the game ends and they win the Big 12 with a well-executed double play ball, which Hurley came in in a really, really tight spot. And now how impressive was that? I mean, that thing could have gotten away. Yeah. But he stood in there and made great pitches. Defense played hard for him. Daly, Mitch Daly goes in there at shortstop, makes a great play in the hole as a defensive replacement to get the first out to calm things down. And then Hurley keeps coming at it with that, with that sinker slider. And it was really – that was well-executed bottom ninth in against a really good West Virginia team. No question about it. And a team that can beat you a lot of ways, as we talked about. Let me go back to David Pierce. I don't want to make this all about coach, but you've been in that chair and you've yep. run a program. And that's why, I mean, the team is doing it and it's come together. But you know, this, the decisions he made last spring after going two and out at the, the College World Series, those are not easy decisions, right? To, to, to let go of coaches that you've been working with for a long time, to shake it up because you realize it needs that, even though you made it to Omaha and had such a great year. I mean, those are also things that to, to commend Coach Ford to, to lead. And, like, you know, those, those aren't easy when you're making those changes. And they're risky because what if they don't work? And what if you're not uh, bringing in the right people? Uh, and at the same time, Coach Pierce admitted through that process, he looked himself in the mirror and had to say, hey, what am I doing? What, what can I do better to get this program to, to, to excel when we get to Omaha? That is all credit to, uh, to Coach P in the, at the top. Oh, there's no doubt about it. That, that, look, the decisions he had to make are not easy. He's known a lot of those people for a long time. He knows that it, it changes the course of how they do things and what they are. And that is never, never an easy decision. But he probably looked at it from, I got to do some things differently. We, you know, we've got to make this better. We've got to make some changes. 
you know, and at the University of Texas, the expectations, he understands what that is. He knows what that's like and, and, and what the fans and everybody, you know, the tradition of this great program and, to, in my opinion, the, the most, you know, traditional baseball program in the history of college baseball. And so he knows that, and he knew what he needed to try to do to, to make those things better and, and to make some changes. And it's not it's not error. It's never easy. And then the idea to go back in and, and as he mentioned, to go in and reflect to himself about what he needed to do to make things better, too, is always a huge thing. I mean, it's hard to look in the mirror every once in a while. And I respect a person, any person, and a man and any person um, of leadership that, that has to go in there and, and make big decisions and timely decisions and important ones that are going to affect a huge program and on so many different people to, to take the time to look in the mirror and then also go, this is what I need to do as well. That's never easy. And I admire for it. I appreciate it from an alumni's uh, perspective and from a coach's perspective. We've all been there and sat in that chair, as you mentioned, where you've got to make decisions like that. He did that. Make, and then the second piece of that, he, you got to go find the right people. Yeah. Piece of it. You got to go find the people that you want to be in that dugout with that you can trust. You got to go find the people that you know that have, that have the same interests in the same direction and the same, you know, hey, winning ideas and the same attitude as you do. And the ones that you can trust that you're working with every day, particularly in moments when this season hasn't always been roses. You know, if everybody's got your back, you've got theirs, and everybody's in there fighting together. Once you get that piece put together, then it truly becomes magical, and you start to see things like has happened over the last part of this season. Yeah, no doubt. And the Longhorns, a handful now, uh, as you said, one to seven in the lineup, early one to nine in the lineup. But those top six or seven are just uh, uh, tearing the cover off the ball right now and taking great at bats. And it's it's a really it's it's a challenge, coach, because that lineup is so left left right. I mean, they're not one side dominant, right? You got the two lefties at the top. Then you got Campbell and Gilmet. Then you go back to Porter Brown and Eric Kennedy from the left side. That makes it tough on a, on a, on a pitching staff, especially in the later innings when you're trying to match up arms. Well, and the left-handed hitters, the majority of them do such a good job on left-handed arms. Yeah. So the left-left matchup isn't just an automatic. Um, I, you know, a lot of times that that's the matchup most coaches look for. He, if there's a piece in there that you know you got a left-handed hitter coming up. The majority of left-handed hitters' matchups with left-handed pitchers aren't as good. Their their average goes down, and their power starts to go down. Not just the average, but the power starts to go down. And that that's not been the case. Some of those left-handed hitters have done a good job of hanging in there um, and, and being able to attack left-handed pitchers as well. So you'll see a bunch of left-handed hitters in there, even with left-handed arms out there um, on you know that start against them and pitch against them. And so – I, it is a really well-balanced offense. Um, it's got, obviously, enough power. And, and what Porter Brown did last Thursday night with those three home runs and two of them off left-handed pitchers, and what, that freshman left-handed arm from West Virginia was really good. I mean, that's a three-quarter arm guy coming back across them, um, and he gets his a breaker and, and knocks it out. I mean, I, to me, they, they just they can beat you in a lot of different ways. And then what Dylan Campbell, again, having been around this program so long, when you start knocking the halls and, and talk names like Keith Moreland, Scott Bryant, Brooks Kieschnick, and all these names keep coming out, and then this young man put together a 33-game hitting streak and, I mean, and put himself in the record books, that is really impressive. And congratulations to him. It is well-deserved. It did not start off easy for that young man. And he has battled and worked and worked and worked. And I'm going to tell you another thing. That guy's a 
plays right field about as shallow as any right fielder I've ever seen in college baseball and gets to more balls than anybody I've seen as well. Made a great couple plays this past weekend. He always seems to, and they're big uh, game-changing type of plays as well, typically, whether he's you know diving for a ball in the gap or uh, throwing somebody out at home or at another base. Hey, Coach, thanks so much. I know you got a lot of games coming and a big, big, busy stretch. I'm not it's, it's, For you, I know it's not even working because you're going to get to cover college baseball, but it's going to be, what, uh, 14 games and a lot going on there. Uh, looking forward to hearing the outcome at the Sun Belt and uh, our visit next Tuesday. It's Bucky and Aaron. Good conversations this morning since 6 a.m. Talking Nuggets-Lakers. Nuggets win it again. It's a four-game sweep, but, man, every one of those games went to the final minute, and the Lakers just couldn't convert. Nuggets outperformed them and out executed them in that closing 60 seconds, and they win all four games. Uh, Bucky said that when the series started. He thinks the Lakers will be in it, but will lose close games, and that's been the case. And that becomes the question for their next opponent, the Miami Heat, most likely. Can they – I mean, that's going to be the challenge, Ty, is to make get stops against uh, the Nuggets in big spots because however the ebb and flow of the 47 minutes of the game goes, it's going to come down to a couple of possessions late. And the Nuggets, all year long and certainly in this series against the Lakers, have shown the ability to get a bucket and uh, usually created by Nikolai, uh, Nikola Jokic or – you know, made by Nikola Jokic, who hit the game winner last night in a, in a 111 game, little floater in the lane that turned out to be the final two points scored. They're really hard to stop in big moments, and uh, Lakers weren't able to do it. Uh, we'll see if the Heat will be able to. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think they will be. I think uh, the Nuggets will make quick work of of the Heat. And also, are we just? They're, the Celtics have no chance of coming back. No. This, they won't be the first one out of 150 or whatever no. it is. No. Yeah, it's now with the Lakers losing last night, the teams who fall into an 0-3 hole are now 0-150. and 150. Why is that so different in the NBA? Because, I mean, we've seen it be done in baseball. We've seen it well, be done I think in if you take Because I think if you take a 3-0 lead, you've proven you're the better team. Uh, you just Because that means you've won at least one game on the opposing floor. Because to me, the NBA playoffs are all about adjustments and, and then adjusting to the adjustments and – because there's no secrets with these guys. They've got scouting reports. They know what the game plan is. And then, you know, a coach will throw something at a, at a coach that he hadn't, wasn't expecting to maybe steal a game here and there. But over the course of a seven-game series, you know, the secrets go away, and it's about execution. Why, well, it's only five guys on the floor opposed yeah. to a, a whole team in baseball sure. or hockey? Uh, yeah, I just think that that's it. I mean, the, you know, once you've gotten to 3-0, you've kind of shown, you know, we're better. And you may get a game because it's not always a sweep, but typically, uh, you know, the Lakers could have won a game last night, then losing five the or losing sweep. six. Yeah, the, they just went ahead and got it done last night. And my criticism of LeBron James, I think I'm a big LeBron James fan, but I, I, I do think he should have been more of a facilitator. In those closing minutes, and this is where Laker fans, I think, are pretty frustrated, and I agree with the Blitzer, by the way, the Lakers had a great season. To, to get where they were, to where they got, to where, to where they, from where they were in February, I mean, come on. Uh, to get to the to the final four, pretty impressive, uh, and the fact that then that against the best team, they had their chances in the closing minute of every game, and then LeBron was the one shooting the ball almost every time in those closing scenarios, and he didn't make them. Uh, I think that you know people will say he's not clutch, but at the same time, we know LeBron's been very clutch in his career in those moments. But he's I think he's tired. He's having to play every minute of every game. And at 38 years old, uh, at that point, I would like to see him be more of, of a facilitator. You know, when he's driving to the, shoot that fadeaway, you know, I don't think he, I kick. don't think he's ever going to give up that that shot. He's always going to be the one that, that wants to take that shot. Well, but the, the, wants the to take over at the end of the game. 
Well, because he was criticized at the beginning of his career, of his career for being a facilitator, for not taking the shot, seeding to look. Michael Jordan won two of his six championships by Joyce passing the ball to uh, John Paxson and Steve Kerr. I mean, sometimes that's okay uh, if it wins the game. We I mean, it, last night it had to be him because the, the rest of the team was not shooting well at all. Yeah, they're Patrick Morrow was like two for ten. Austin Reeves. Went six for 11. Six I would have liked 11. to have seen Austin Reeves get a shot in that spot. That would have been my first choice. Well, he's the only guy I trust, especially with D'Angelo right. Russell. And they knew that. They did. And let's, let's also say that the great second half defense Denver played was a big part of it. They were so much better on the defensive end in the second half than they were in the first. But And I look, I think uh, I know it's maybe the, for me, doing what I do, which is observe things and then talk about them, I haven't watched a ton of Denver Nuggets basketball um, You know, it, on, on a big stage. They haven't been there. Right and the bubble, gosh, we've I think we've all kind of flushed the bubble down and because in our own minds even like, oh yeah, that happened, but there was so much going on in our world that it's like Mickey Mouse title. Yeah, but you know, it could happen. But as far as your 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 attention to it, your another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Being glued to the TV during that time, there was so much else going on in our world. Uh, it happened, but you, you know, so I did watch the Nuggets. But this is the closest that I've watched them over the course of a, of a you know three week period these playoffs and you know what what the Nuggets are doing are making a case that this is not this is the first of a run for them this is the first of now that Jamal Murray is back and healthy and they've got the right coach and staff and support you know roster built that this could be the first of a few runs to the NBA championship for this group we see it in basketball all the time when you get the right mix and especially the right top players at the top you become a fixture the Spurs did it. Year after year, obviously the uh, the Lakers have done it. Uh, the Warriors did it uh, with with the, with and looks like that dynasty is coming to an end. Uh, and it feels like the Nuggets' time. Well, and, this is the first year they've all been healthy, right? Well, that's what I'm I mean, saying. And it feels like I'm not just saying for this year. I'm saying for next year. If, if Jamal Murray doesn't tear his ACL and Michael Porter Jr. doesn't have those back problems, we they, they might have won it last year. Yeah, they could have won it the last three for sure. Years. And because yeah. uh, it doesn't look like there's another team out there that's ready to be a dynasty. You know, Phoenix. Is built around you know two stars, but Kevin Durant's in his early 30s now. Um, you know Milwaukee with Giannis, they haven't been able to add the right pieces around Giannis. I think you get the right coach, coach in Boston. Yeah, that could, that could maybe they could turn uh, around. But can they keep the Brown Tatum combination there because they're both do max deals, super max deals? That's going to be a challenge. I mean, with the, what the Heat are doing is kind of a, an enigma, an outlier because you know they're an eight seed. And they weren't great all year, but they've, they've put it all together at the right time. But they only have one superstar, and that's Jimmy Butler. The reason I say the Nuggets could go on a run is they're built with a superstar who's the best player in the game, which is what the Warriors were, right, or what Tim Duncan and the Spurs were. you got the best player in the game, and then you put a, another elite player next to him in uh, Jamal Murray, which he has proven to be. Uh, Jamal also has that clutch gene, loves to, to come up big in the fourth quarter. And then you just add pieces around it. The Michael Porter Juniors, who's healthy this year. The Aaron Gordons, the nice piece. And this is what Golden State and the Spurs were able to do. Uh, and look, once Tim Duncan had Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili, they, almost, they became almost unbeatable. Because as we always talked about, you had Tim Duncan anchoring both ends of the floor. 
And then you had two guys in Parker and Ginobili that could always get their own shot. It's almost like having two facilitators on the floor at the same time. Uh, you know, Manu with the left hand and Parker with the quickness. And you had the consistent role players around even That's those exactly guys. That's exactly right. And Patty had, Mills. And then you just inserted the role guys. players. And, of course, Pop built the culture. Uh, through the players, and you know, I, I'm, you know, I don't think that's out of the question. That and so did Golden State, right? Golden State had Steph, and everything flowed out of he and 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 uh, and uh, the other splash brother there. And why can't I think of his name? Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson. And then you bring in a Draymond Green in the second round, and you you know you get an Andrew Wiggins, or um, you know, the, the, you just put the right pieces. Andre Iguodala becomes a huge piece, but it starts with the two studs and the core. And in San Antonio, you could argue it was three studs. I think we're shifting away from the super team model, though, where you put sure. all the, your assets, well, and all your money into two or three guys. You're right. I, I don't. If one I, of those guys I, goes down, you're, you're I, done. I still think it'll be done. Teams will try it. Oh, yeah, definitely. But at the same time, I think it's credit to – because Golden State was built organically until Kevin Durant you know, joined as a free agent. Uh, the Spurs were built organically, and Denver has been built organically. And as long as they got that dude, Jokic – you know, seven footer that can pass like Magic Johnson, and score when he needs to, and a, and a player like Jamal Murray, I think they're the team to beat if they stay healthy. You're right about that. And Mike Michael Malone has shown to be a great coach. Now look, they still got to win this thing. They still got to win one before we start talking about that, and that will be not easy when they play the the Miami Heat and what Jimmy Butler brings to the table. But man, they're they're special in the way that you know, being 50 years old now and seeing a lot of these, and when you get Shaq and Kobe. Or you get Parker, Ginobili, and Manu. You get the Splash Brothers and Draymond Green. You just become damn hard to beat because you you just you're really good and uh, you got you know star players and uh, we see it over and over again, generation after generation. And you wonder if this becomes Jokic. Look, Jokic has already won two MVPs. What should have won a third this year? Now he has a chance to put a championship on the board. So you're gonna start hearing people talk about him in that stratus stratosphere of you know all time great. Uh, but he's got to bring home the championship. Look like they're on a collision course with it for sure after what you saw last night and really over the, the entirety of this playoffs because they mowed right through you know, everybody so far. Phoenix, six games. They lost a couple in Phoenix, but then blitzkrieg them, and they're just really, really good. Uh, all right, so that's part of the basketball. We've got the Longhorn baseball and the college baseball debate. We'll come back and uh, light, uh, set you up for Light the Tower, reset our top stories, and wrap up a Tuesday. It's Bucky and Aaron. People are great. Appreciate the uh, adamant opinions and uh, agreements and disagreements on the Specs text line all morning long. 337-3776. This guy, as somebody said to me in the first hour of our show four hours ago, E, you must not have watched any of Magic Johnson's career. Oh, I watched all of Magic's career. It was my formative years of watching basketball. And so, yeah, when I say it, uh, watching Nikola Jokic reminds me of Dirk Nowitzki meets Magic Johnson. They had a baby, yes. Uh, I, I, it is high praise for Jokic, but uh, I did watch Magic Johnson, and um, but you know what? Much like Magic Johnson changed the game, you know, nobody before him, Oscar Robertson back in the '60s, you know, did. But have a big man who could lead the break and and you know play point guard at six nine. I mean, that changed the game. If you remember when when Magic came in the league, um, they already had the point. They already had a point guard. What was the name? Nate. Uh, God, they had a little point guard, uh, and that led to some friction early, but. You know, Magic Johnson needed the ball in his hand and uh, became, you know, the tip of the spear of the Showtime Lakers and le- leading the break, no doubt about it. But I'm saying equally watching Nikola Jokic, he's changing the game for for big men. He's seven foot tall. He's got a seven seven three wingspan. 
this guy leads the break as a center where he grabs the rebound and then leads the break. I mean, Magic used to do that too, but his passing ability, he averaged 10 assists a game this year, essentially, 9.6 assists. He's averaging a triple-double in this postseason, which means he's averaging over 10 assists in every playoff game. Unless you're not watching. I mean, it's high praise to put Magic Johnson in the same sentence, but that's what I'm watching. Watching a guy with elite, elite floor vision, court vision, and passing skills as a seven-footer. Pretty damn impressive. Uh, Hey, uh, Ty, you realize, you know, we got college baseball on the brain. Longhorns will be playing tomorrow, the Big 12 tournament. You realize if Texas can win a couple of games, and as Coach Pierce said to us earlier, go win this dang thing. They, that's their game plan with Lucas Gordon on the mound tomorrow. And they get the host of regional here. It's very possible that one of those teams in the region is Texas A&M. Let's go. Let's go. Dallas Baptist is the name. What if there was a Texas region? Because remember, Texas, if they get there, may almost certainly will be the only team in the Lone Star State to host. There's not another team with the resume. Dallas Baptist, maybe, but Texas, if Texas gets it, they'd probably take it away from DBU. You could have Texas, DBU, Texas A&M, and Texas State, if the, uh, as we heard Ty Harrington say, make a run at the Sun Belt Tournament. Wouldn't that be cool? It would be a fun weekend. That would be really fun. We just saw it in softball. We just saw that in softball. You had Texas, Texas A&M, Texas State, and Seton Hall. You could have something like that because they, they like to keep those regional. And, and if the Longhorns play well this week, there could be just one in the Lone Star State at Dishfalk Field. We'll talk more about that tomorrow. Also, the other Wednesday headlines coming next. It's Light the Tower. If you miss David Pierce or Ty Harrington, it's all podcast at hornfm.com.